23 is where we need to go in the Bibles tonight. The title of the message tonight is Goat's Milk and God's Blessing. And that really doesn't give you any clues, does it? Now you all know, of course, that Exodus 20 is the great chapter where we find the Ten Commandments. We're all very familiar with those. But really from chapter 20 all the way through to chapter 40, the end, uh, there is an exhaustive an intensive catalogue of laws and ordinances and commands that God gave to Moses to govern the children of Israel, all the tribes that had left Egypt and were making their way through the promised land, or making their way through the wilderness and then into the promised land and beyond. Now, these are various laws. There are ceremonial laws. And the ceremonial laws were to govern how they worshipped uh, who could be a priest and who couldn't be? What qualified and disqualified someone from being a priest? Uh, the tabernacle, for instance, uh, that was to be built in the greatest detail, measurements, uh, weights and, and materials and silver and gold and wood and everything, everything in the minutest detail was given as a pattern to Moses. Of course, Whenever you go into the book of Leviticus, then it expands and expands more on these things. Uh, and then, of course, there were civil laws. And the civil laws was just simply to govern their day-to-day their -day, uh, daily living. Uh, and particularly when they would come into the promised land and they would settle again rather than just wandering through the wilderness. And these would be legal and judicial laws. Uh, like, for instance, uh, about borrowing money. Uh, what was required and what was not required, what you could do and what you couldn't do. Or even a simple thing like if, if somebody's uh, ox, if, if their bull broke out and gorged somebody, uh, then there was a law about that, uh, whether it be put to death or not. And that depended sometimes on the circumstances, how well the farmer looked after his bull or was he careless in it and so forth. So there was all kinds of laws for all kinds of things, right down to their, actually, to their daily living. There was moral laws. There was ethical laws. There was laws, for instance, uh, what would happen if a, a son or a daughter cursed their father or mother? Well, they'd be stoned to death if they did that. Can you imagine if that was the law today? That would adjust the population somewhat, wouldn't it? And then, of course, there was, there was agricultural laws. There was laws to govern the, the, their farming, uh, when to sow and when to reap and when to plant and when to dig and, and the feasts they would hold at harvest times and so forth. So there was all kinds of detailed laws uh, throughout the 40 chapters. Even, uh, I don't know whether it's enforced today or not. Some farmers may do it, but there's the, uh, the law of the, of the fallow year where six years the ground was worked and then the seventh year it had to lie fallow. Uh, you couldn't work it so that even the very ground on the seventh year was rested as a kind of a Sabbath rest for the land. However, in Exodus chapter 23, there is one law, one command that absolutely must be obeyed. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. It's something that God had forbidden and he prefaced it with, you shall not now, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, not one of the Decalogue in chapter 20. 
but it is a command nonetheless, you shall not. Now, it's a, it's a strange command. It kind of almost seems cryptic when you read it. In fact, when you first read it, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense at all. So, let's see where we can find it. Let's see if you can spot it. Uh, in Exodus chapter 23, well, let's begin reading from verse 10. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall rest it and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and that what they leave the beasts of the fields may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may rest, and on the son of your female servant, uh, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat no unleavened bread seven days. And I, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. And the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of the labors from the field. Three times in the year all your meals shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of, your, of my sacrifice with unleavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And then, and then, suddenly... You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Isn't that strange? You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now it does say this in a couple of other places. And where it does say it, it always seems to say it in relation to the harvest. And so for that reason, some say, well, this was an Egyptian fertility rite. Because, remember, they've just come out of Egypt. And the Egyptians would boil uh, a young goat, a kid, in its mother's milk. And then the, the broth of that, if you could use that term, was taken. And it was spread over their fields and over their crops and over their vineyards and over this, that, and the other. Uh, with the hope that it would, be, it would produce fertility and that they would have greater crops. And so there may be some element of truth in that. Some say it's because uh, God has care and respect for animal life, uh, as we should have too. We should treat them as humanely as possible. However, I think that it's deeper than that. Uh, I think that God's saying something more than just that. Because he prefaces it with, you shall not do this. Under any circumstances shall you boil a kid in its mother's milk. And I think the principle here is this. That which God intends to bring life, mother's milk, should never bring death. That which God intends for blessing should never be a curse. That which God intends for good should never become an instrument of bad. The mother's milk was supposed to bring life. It's supposed to sustain life. It was supposed to bring health and strength. But used for the wrong reason, what did it bring? It brought death. 
And it brought the opposite of what it was intended to bring. There's certain things that God has given to us that are supposed to be a blessing to us. That He intends to bless us with. That will bring us life and joy and well-being. It's meant to be good for us. A blessing. But if somehow we turn that around, and instead of becoming a blessing, it becomes a blight to us. Instead of becoming something good for us, as God intended, it has the opposite effect. We'll be a little bit more precise just in a moment or two. And when that happens, if we turn around that which God intended for good or for a blessing, if we turn that around and it becomes a blight and a curse to us, God says, I'm against it. You shall not do this. So many times in Scripture, this principle, this underlying principle, either in Scripture and in our lives, actually comes true. Uh, things we have longed for, things perhaps we have prayed for, we have asked God to give to us. We felt we wanted it, we needed it. It would be such a blessing if I had that. Once we get it, depending on how we handle it, what we do with the blessing, it can become a great blessing or it can become the worst thing we ever had because it ends up we put it before God. And it becomes a curse to us. And it blights her life. You know, Jesus in John 10 and 10 promised abundant life, didn't he? I'm come that you might have life and that you have it in abundance. But the trouble is that we can take that very blessing and we can become so enamored with the gift that we forget the giver. We can become so wrapped up in the blessing that we forget the blesser. And we can forget the God who gave it to us. And that's the danger. And that's, when we do that, then we are boiling the kid in its mother's milk. And God said, you shall not do this. And so we need to be careful in times of blessing that we don't boil our kid in its mother's milk. That we don't somehow or other, and I have seen it, listen, as a pastor for 33 years, I could write a book about this. I have seen it so many times. I have had people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm praying for this. I want this to happen. I want this job, or I want this to happen. I want a family, or I want a partner. I want this, this, and this. And God, in His grace, and His goodness, and His mercy, gives it to them and intends it to bless them. But by the time they're finished with it, it comes between them and God, and it's bye-bye God. And there's no time for the house of God, and there's no time for the things of God, because they're so wrapped up in the blessing, they forget about the blesser. The gift becomes more important than the giver of the gift. And that's a very grave danger, and it's something that we really, really need to watch. Uh, let me show you this principle, if you could call it that. Uh, come with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, prophet writing here says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. 
What's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about this is God looking at Israel, his vineyard. And in a sense, as the people of God, as believers, as the people of God, we're part of God's vineyard also. This church is part of God's vineyard, could we say. You're individually part of God's vineyard. So he says, let me sing to my well-beloved the song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it and cleared out its stones. So in other words, he wanted the land to be fertile. He wanted the land to be good to grow in, that it would produce good fruit. He dug it and cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in its midst to protect, to look out for, and to look after. He also made a wine press in it. And so he was expecting good fruit to come from this, expecting produce, a good harvest to come. So he expected to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Hmm. All God's intention for good. All God's planning for good. All God's wanting to bless them for good is turned on its head and they bring forth wild grapes, spiritually speaking. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will let waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain not on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Now, you say, well, what happened? Well, it's, it was the old story about Israel in the Old Testament. He loved them. They were his people, just the way he loves us and we're his people. He desired to bless them. He desires to bless us. God, there, there's not a problem with God wanting to bless us. He longs to. He yearns to. He wants to. His plans for us, Jeremiah said, are good and not for evil to give us a future and a hope. But Israel, when he did bless them, and they prospered, and they grew strong, inevitably. In fact, that's the whole teaching of the book of Judges, isn't it? Inevitably, they forgot about God. They were so blessed that they felt, well, we're so blessed and we're so protected. And look what we have got. In fact, if you read on, you'll see they joined house to house and field to field. I mean, the blessing was so good they could hardly contain it. But if you further read on and read much more, you'll see that that in their blessing, they get so enamored by it and their, and their fruits and all their vineyards and so forth, and they made such wine, they became drunken. 
And they abused the gifts that God had given. And they did not treat the gifts that God had given the way they ought to have done. And God's a jealous God. And because God loved them and because God loves us, sometimes God will take away the blessing. Sometimes he will withdraw it. Sometimes he'll just withhold it for a while because it's coming between us and him. And he wants us to get back to our first love. And he wants us to recognize if we're going to be blessed, it's going to be by him. And it's not going to be by us. And it's only going to be by his grace. It's not because of who we are. It's by his grace and by his mercy. Any blessing that comes our way. And we must never forget who the blesser is, who the giver of the gift is. Because God's a jealous God. Think about a backslider. God is married to the backslider. God loves them. He's a vested interest in them. His son died for every backslider. And sometimes they get back into that world. And it seems wonderful for a while. And then God, because he loves them, and he doesn't want them to stay in that condition, he starts to strip them. And he begins to take off them. And they find they're walking a very hard way until they cry out to him once again for his mercy and his love. And he draws them to himself. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. It becomes a very dangerous thing to do. And God does love us. And he is long-suffering. And he's full of tender mercies. But he can discipline us because he loves us. We discipline our children because we love them. Not because we hate them, because we love them. Because we want them to grow up sound, mature, sensible, wise. The Bible says no chastening at the time. It's not much fun, is it? But it's good for us, actually. And so, in Romans chapter 14, let me just show another element of this principle, slightly different. Are you understanding what I'm saying tonight? The Apostle Paul here writing in Romans chapter 14, uh, the church, the Roman church was having difficulty. Every church has difficulties. There was issues here that needed to be resolved. And when you come to chapter 14, there was two main issues. One was to do with diets and one was to do with days. There was arguments going on, tensions regarding diets and days. Those who were hung up on diet. I don't mean losing weight when I say that. <laughs> I think we're all hung up on that one. But when I say diet, I mean what was lawful to eat and drink and what wasn't lawful to eat and drink. And they were really, really, this became a big issue with them. And then on the other side, there was those who were caught up in days, particularly the Sabbath day. What could be done, what could not be done. And so the apostle Paul weighs in here with some wisdom. Here's what he said. 
Receive one who is weak in the faith. Hmm. Now when he says receive one who is weak in the faith, he's talking about those who are arguing about diets and days. And the trouble was they were losing sight of the central issue, which is the cross and the gospel. And they were getting sidelines by arguments of non-essentials. And many, many churches get sidelined by arguing over non-essentials, fighting over it, splitting over it. None to do with the cross, none to do with the gospel over some side issue. So Paul says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes about over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, you have to understand that these Gentile believers, they come out of paganism and barbarism. And, and often whenever their animal sacrifices to made to their gods after their, the sacrifice was made to their gods, the meat would be cut up and it would be sold in the local butchers, if I could put it in that terminology. And Paul said, listen, there's some people, and because they come out of that background, they, they, they can't understand how a Christian could go and eat meat that has been already offered onto another god, an idol. And they will not touch it for any reason. He says, me, I don't believe in other gods, so it doesn't bother me. I could eat that meat. wouldn't bother me. I have no conscience about it whatsoever because I don't believe in other gods. And then there's other people, and they were saying, but you see, there's certain days you have to observe. And if you don't observe these days, you're not really a really deep, good, spiritual believer. Paul says to me, every day is on to God. I live every day on to God. Every day is the same to me. That's what he's saying. You'll see this at the end. But he said, some of you has arguments about this. So listen to what he says. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Now there's a, there's a secret. Let each one be convinced, be absolutely persuaded in his own mind. There's lots of Christians doing things that see other Christians doing but they're not persuaded in their own mind that they can do it. But they're doing it because somebody else is doing it. They think, well, if they're doing it, it must be okay, so I'll do it. But then they, their conscience pricks them, and they feel condemned. And that actually becomes sin, Paul says. You'll see in a moment or two. So, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose again and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? 
Why do you show contempt for your brother? For, you, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge another, one another any more, but rather resolve this. Now listen to this. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Ah, now, here's the wisdom of Paul. Paul says, here is this side, they're arguing about diets. What can eat, what can I drink, what can I not eat, what can I not drink. Here's this lot over there arguing about days. Can I worship this day or that day or this day or that day? He says to me, I give every day to the Lord. To me, I don't believe in other gods, so I can eat that meat. doesn't bother me. But because it bothers you, and it bothers you, even though it's permitted for me, because it doesn't bother me, but because I know it bothers you, I'll not eat it or drink it or observe it in front of you. You know why? Because it'll stumble you. And I love you too much to stumble you. I'll say you're weak in your faith and I'll trust that God will strengthen your faith. But right now, I know it will stumble you if I do it in front of you, so I'll make sure I will never do it in front of you. I'll never give an occasion of offense and stumbling to you. Now you see, that's walking in love, isn't it? That's truly walking in love. That's not saying, well, it's okay for me, so I don't care what you think. It's all right for me, so I'll just go ahead and do it anyway. It doesn't bother me, so tough, too bad. You're weak in the faith, so clear off. I'll take it when I want to take it. Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. And the thing that's a blessing to you can become an offense to somebody else. And you need to watch that you don't be the one who causes the offense. You need to be careful about that. Listen what Paul says. He goes on to say here in chapter 14. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, the things by which one may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. What does that mean? It's evil for the man who eats that's causing offense to someone else. It, it's good for them. But if they cause offense, then they're turning that good into an instrument of bad. In a sense, you are boiling your kid in his mother's milk. Now listen to what he says. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Do you have faith can you handle it? Wonderful. Are you strong and it doesn't bother you? Wonderful. 
Listen to what he says. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Don't flaunt it. Don't flaunt it. Especially with people you know this could cause them to stumble. Do not dare flaunt that. That will become a curse. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul is speaking about liberty here. And he says, I am free from all of those food laws, from all of those special days. I am free in Christ. But I'm not going to flaunt that freedom if it causes my brother to stumble. In other words, I'm not going to allow my liberty to become a license. I'm not going to allow my freedom to become a fault. I'm not going to allow my strength to become a stumbling block to others. See, it's Spurgeon, arguably the greatest preacher in the history of the British Isles. I mean, he had a mega church when there was no such thing as a mega church. I mean, he had tens of thousands come to his church. No organ, no microphones. He must have some voice. Brilliant orator, great preacher. But do you know he liked to smoke cigars? He did. He smoked cigars for a long time. Of course, in those days, nobody knew the dangers, the inherent dangers of any kind of smoking. But he smoked cigars. And he smoked them for a long time, even as a pastor. And then one day he opened the paper. Now, he had no conscience about it. He had no feeling about it. didn't bother him. Uh, he didn't in any way at all feel condemned about it. But then he opened the paper one day. And he saw an advertisement for cigars. And it says, the cigars that C.H. Spurgeon smokes. He thought, ah, now wait a minute. I'm doing this unto myself before the Lord. I have no conviction about it. I have no ill feeling about it. But what if somebody reads that? What if another brother or sister reads that? And what if they start that, but they haven't got my strength, and they haven't got my convictions, and they haven't got my feeling of faith? What if they do that, and they start to feel condemned? Then I put a stumbling block on their path. You know what he did? He says, I will never smoke a cigar again. And he never did. He just instantly gave it up and that was it. Never again. Because he didn't want to stumble somebody else. He didn't want to take what was a blessing to him. Not, I mean, smoking's a blessing. But the feeling of having no condemnation. Blessed is the man who's not condemned in what he allows as long as what he allows is not against Scripture, of course. That doesn't mean to say you can take off of somebody else's wife. That wouldn't be allowed, would it? Because Spurgeon was reckoning, I will stumble somebody, and I will never do that as long as I can help it. I won't do that. So I will give that up. I will sacrifice that, because that's not as important as stumbling somebody. If I stumble somebody, I'll have to stand before God and account for it. So I'll get rid of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, we'll be through just in a moment. 
First Samuel chapter 10, we find in, in this particular chapter that, that God is calling uh, young Saul uh, to be king in Israel. And the prophet Samuel is the one who uh, will anoint him. And we'll have time to go into the story of how they met. And remember, he was out looking for his father's donkeys. And there's a whole wonderful story about how they met. But God brought him to this place. And so Samuel begins to speak to him in verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 10. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the tribe of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hiding among the equipment. Now why was he hiding among the equipment? Because he felt inadequate. He felt... God, you're asking me to be the king of Israel? Do you not know that I'm from the smallest tribe, Benjamin? Do you not know I'm from the least of the families in the tribe of Benjamin? You're calling me? And he ran, actually ran and hid. I mean, how can you hide from God? But he did. He hid. But God knew exactly where he was. And so they ran, they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? And so the people shouted and said, Long live the king! <laughs> what a privilege. What an honor to be taken from the smallest tribe, from the least of the families, and suddenly, before all, to be announced, you are the king of Israel. God has chosen you, sovereignly chosen you to be king over his people. What an enormous privilege. What a blessing. What a thrill that must have been. What mother's milk. If only we could leave that story right there hanging. But we can't. God gave him so many privileges. So many blessings. But the Bible says he played the fool and he erred exceedingly. He took the blessings and he misused them and he abused them and he just became a terrible king to the point where God said, I'm finished with him. I'm finished with him. And he chose David as king, and he stayed. Remember, it took David years before Saul gave up the kingship. But God said, I'm finished with him. And then when you turn over to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, sometime later, years later, this is happening. God is finished with him. He's no longer going to be king. God's anointing has moved on to David. Samuel recognizing that, or David, sorry, Saul recognizing that. You remember how he tried to kill David on a few occasions? But he finally came to, to old Samuel. And in effect, he was saying, Samuel, look, just, 
just allow me one more time just to come and worship with you. He remembered the good old days. He remembered the time when he was really blessed and he was walking with the Lord. He said, just give me one more time, just one more opportunity. And then Samuel, verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Hmm. And he said, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you to be king over Israel? When you were little in your own eyes. He's not little in his own eyes anymore, by the way. And Samuel's reminding, when you were little in your, when you were humble before God, didn't God bless you? Didn't God raise you up? Didn't God make you king of Israel? Didn't God give you such influence and affluence? Did not God put you on a pedestal before the whole nation? Did not God bless you mightily when you were little in your own eyes? But you see, he took all of those blessings and all of those privileges and all of those wonderful things that God had given to rule. And he took all of that and he spoiled it in its mother's milk. That which God meant to be a blessing became a curse because he misused it and because he abused it. So many times over the years I have seen this scenario played out. If only Samson, if only Samson had a thought, what am I doing? God has given me such an anointing. God has given me such a strength that's supernatural. What am I doing? He used it as a toy, a plaything. It became a game to him. I mean, he could just turn it on whenever he wanted, he thought. Samson, the Philistines are upon you, Delilah said. And he jumps up. He was tied to the loom of his hair. And he took the loom and all and carried it out. Such was the power and the strength of the man. Played with it. Took the blessing of God that was meant to be a wonderful thing. And he boiled it in its mother's milk. And it became a curse to him. Until finally, you know the story, he shook himself as before, but knew not that the Spirit of God had left him. And suddenly he became weak as another man, just like any other man, without the anointing, without God's blessing. That's the only thing made the difference to him. You know, I've said this to you before when I preached in Samson. You know, people is this idea, Hollywood is this idea, he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he's this great big muscle. But no, he wasn't. If you hadn't been like that, they wouldn't ask them, what's the secret of your strength? It would have been obvious, wouldn't it? You know, up in the park there in the summer, we had our fun day. Remember those two guys pulling that big lorry? Did they pull it with their teeth? No, they didn't pull it with their teeth, but they had it strapped around their belly and they're pulling it. I stand thinking, why do you do that? You know what I mean? What, what, what's that about? Like, you know, be strong. But they were big guys, you know. I don't know. I wouldn't like to feed those two fellas, I'm sure. A fish supper, you need about ten fish suppers to feed those guys. But Samson was just an ordinary looking man. 
the difference was the anointing that came on him. When the anointing came on him, he was like no other man. Such was the strength. But when the anointing left him, he's just like Joe Soap in the street. No different. Just ordinary. But you see, he spoiled that which God intended for good. I haven't time to talk about Esau or talk about Solomon, all those. There's just so many stories you could say. But the warning is there, isn't it? The warning is there. Let's end up on a positive note. What do we do with the blessings that God gives us? What do we, how do we handle the precious things that God gives us? How do we handle that? Jobs, our careers, our families, our children, our partners, our businesses. So many things God gives for a blessing, doesn't he? You believe that many times over the years, people who's prayed, told me, prayed for a partner. And they got one. Boy, did they ever get one. <laughs> well, we'll not go down that road tonight. I've been down that road a few times with people. But what are we going to do with that which God blesses us with? He comes, listen, he comes along and he gives you the job of your dreams. You've never had a better job in your life. You've never had a better paying job in your life. The hours has never been better. You're getting promoted left, right, and center. It's a wonderful job. And you have asked God to give you a great job. And Lord, if you give this job to me, I'll bless your kingdom. I'll have more money to give into your kingdom. And that was the intention. No doubt about it. That was the intention. But then God honors that and he gives the, answers that prayer and you get that job. And then you get very busy in it. And then you get more busy in it. And you get busy, 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 busy. And you haven't time to come to the house of God to worship here. And to worship and eat from his table. You just haven't time. Or you're too tired. Because you've been so busy. And the thing that God gave you to be a blessing becomes a curse. Becomes a stumbling block. It becomes another reason why you haven't time for church or to read my Bible or to pray or to seek the Lord. See what I'm saying tonight? So what do we do with those blessings that God gives? Well, let me tell you what to do. First of all, treat it as something that's very precious. Something that is God given. We become very blasé about the blessings. After you have them a while, you can take it for granted, can't you? You just become accustomed to it. Never lose sight of the fact that God is the blesser. God is the giver. He is the source of the blessing. Not us. He is. And thank Him for it every day. Thank God for what you've got Thank God for what he's given. And because if you keep doing that, you'll keep putting him first. You'll not be forgetting him. This word, David said, is more to me. It's more precious to me than much fine gold. That's a multi, 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 multi millionaire saying that. <laughs> His coffers were full of pure gold. But he says, your word is much more, your law is much more important to me than all of that gold. It's precious to me. You know, I find Bibles down in that back rack there all the time, and sometimes they lie there for six months. 
And I think, I wonder, does the owner of that Bible even remember, even know that it's there? Now, I could be unkind. Maybe they've got 10 more Bibles at home. Maybe I'm being a little bit unkind there, and maybe I'm unjustified in saying that, but I just wonder, do they ever miss it? Huh. Do you remember the old case catalogs years ago? Remember the catalog seals? I don't know. Do they do that anymore? Probably not. You just go on the internet now, but they used to give these big books through the post. Remember those? The pastor entered the house one day, and he was talking to this mother, and we were having this conversation that came around to spiritual things. And the mother says, uh, son, would you go and get me, you know the big book that I love to read? I mean, in the Bible. <laughs> and of course, what big book did he come in with? Kay's catalog. <laughs> <laughs> You know what David says about God's word? He said, it is more than my necessary food. Would you give up your lunch for the house of God? Would you? Would you give up your dinner for the house of God? Hmm. David says, I would do it. It's more to me than my necessary food. See, whenever you're thinking like that, you'll know that you're handling the precious things of God the right way. You'll know that. Your attitude will show that. Use the blessing that God has given you. Use it to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. How do you glorify God in your body? And Monday morning, tomorrow morning, you're going to have to drag your body to the workplace, aren't you? may not want to go, but you'll make it go. Because you have to. And then you'll work all week. And what will be the fruit of that? When it comes Sunday, you bring the fruit of that effort and that labor to the house of God. You give a portion to the kingdom of God, don't you? You're honoring God with your body. You come in here Sunday morning, Sunday night, or whatever you, time you come, and you bring your body. Sometimes your body doesn't want to come. Sure it doesn't. Now let's be honest. It doesn't want to come. Did you hear about the mother one time shouting up the stairs? Her son says, son, it's half ten. Church starts at eleven. He says, I don't want to go. Quarter 11. Son, it's quarter 11. Get up. Go to church. I don't want to go, but you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> I love the house of God. I really, really love the house of God. Love it. But there's times in your humanity when you're tired. You're just tired <sighs> of course you never feel you're too spiritual to feel everything aren't you but you bring your body you bring your body whether it wants to come or not I'm not talking if you're elderly you're sick or you're infirm or something but just because you're feeling ugh, you bring your body and when you bring your body you say well body you're coming I'm going you have to come <laughs> can't go anywhere without me you bring your body and you worship the Lord. You're honoring God with the, your body 
and your spirit, which are the Lord's. And when you're doing all of that and more, you see, it means that you know who is the blesser and you know what the blessing is and you honor God with it. And when you do all of that, you're not boiling the kid in its mother's milk. You're using it the right way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks tonight for who you are. And we thank you for your precious Son, the Lord Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who went to the cross of Calvary to give his very life for us. What a gift. What a glorious gift that has been given to us that we have the Son of God as our Savior. And so we give you thanks. Thank you for all of your blessings that you have bestowed upon each of us all of the gifts and graces, all of the material things, our jobs, our homes, our families, everything. Lord, help us to recognize that you are the giver. You are the blesser. And that none of these things, Lord, even our very children, none of these things will allow to come between us and between you. Lord, we're not going to boil our kid in its mother's milk. We're going to enjoy and honor your blessings in Jesus' name. And everybody that knows Christ said, Amen. Amen.